0: Today we continue in our uh, sermon series called Misfits of Christmas. Uh, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, it, it's really a, a series built around the fact that everyone involved in the Christmas story, uh, they're misfits. If we were to choose people to bring Jesus into the world, we would not have chosen these people. And yet what we've also seen is that God loves Misfits. And He loves to use misfits because it brings Him glory. And that is great news for you and me. That is great news for you and me because if God can use those misfits, maybe He can use us. Maybe there's a spot in His family for you and me. And that's true. Because at times we're all misfits, right? In fact, when it comes to God's family... We are all misfits because we're sinners. And yet God has shown His grace to us and has brought us in. And so today, we are going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And before we do, I want you to consider this question. If you were to handpick the mother of Jesus, who would she be? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because when you stop and think about it, the woman you choose to be the mother of Jesus is going to have the responsibility of raising God. She's going to have the privilege of being the mother of Jesus. She's going to have the responsibility to take care of His needs. And so whoever you choose, she's going to have a big responsibility. And so what would be Her social background? What would be her family background? Uh, What would be her financial background? Her education? Uh, What would her current family situation be? Maybe you would choose the mother who's posting pictures on uh, social media all the time and you're convinced that her and her family cannot take a bad picture. You are convinced that all of them are happy all the time Uh, They are a great family. She is a great soccer mom, great encourager, kids love her, she loves the kids. She's married and and her and her husband have a great relationship, a godly relationship. You can tell Jesus is at the center of that marriage. Uh, He has a good job and, and they're well off with money so they have enough money to take care of the baby Jesus. She's got four kids so she's an experienced mother. She knows what she's doing. If you were to pick this type of woman, it'd be rightly so, right? She would be uh, the type of woman who we might say deserves the honor and privilege of raising baby Jesus. But let me ask you this. Would God choose you? That's a question we're going to consider this morning as we look at Mary and how she was a misfit. And if you're following along in your worship folder, uh, the first fill-in-the-blank this morning is Mary was the misfit mother. In other words, she's not the mother that we would have picked if it was us. And we're going to dig in and we're going to see why. We're going to dig into Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Here's what we're told. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth? John the Baptist's parents. uh, Zachariah, they they were the older couple, not able to have kids. And then the angel Gabriel appeared to Zachariah and said, you're going to have a baby. Well, Elizabeth is Zachariah's wife. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Here we see that Mary is a misfit, and you might not think so just by this description of what is going on. But the first thing we hear is that she's from Nazareth. Nobody was expecting the mother of the Messiah to come from Nazareth. Because nowhere in the Old Testament is Nazareth mentioned. There's not a single prophecy about Nazareth in the Old Testament in regards to Jesus. It's never mentioned. Bethlehem? Yes. Nazareth? No. It's never mentioned. And so no one's expecting it. Not only that, but Nazareth is a small little town, uh, and was a small little town, that nobody really heard of. It's insignificant. (laughs) Uh, Archaeologists have discovered that there was only one well in Nazareth, and what that meant was that they could only hold about a a couple hundred people, uh, could get water from that well. So the city wasn't built, this town wasn't built to hold a lot of people. It was a small, dinky little town where everyone knew everybody. If you want a good comparison, uh, think Sewer Junction right here, Highway 29 and 183. If you talk to local Liberty Hill people, they will tell you that Sewer Junction is not an intersection. It is a town. And that's because before the stoplights were there, it was just a stop sign and it was a town because there was a restaurant and a gas station. If you blink while you're going by, you're going to miss it. This was Nazareth. Small, dinky. If you blink you're going to, while you're passing it, er, you're going to miss it. Everybody knew everyone. On top of this, not only was Nazareth small, not only was no one expecting it, because it wasn't in the Old Testament, uh, it was actually looked down upon. I don't know if you remember, but in John chapter 1, uh, verse 46, before Jesus had any disciples, John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus, and Andrew and Peter go up to a man named Nathaniel. And they say, Nathaniel, you're not going to believe it. We have found the Messiah, the one the Old Testament prophesied about. And Nathaniel said, This is great news. Who is it? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This was the reputation Nazareth had. Nobody was expecting it because it was looked down upon small, not even on anybody's radar. We also hear that she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. In this culture, uh, for a woman, you were married by your late teens and early 20s and probably had at least one child by that time. Uh, And so a lot of theologians believe that Mary was actually about 13 to 15 years old when this happened because she's pledged. She's not quite married yet. What pledge meant was they had the the written documents filled out, marriage license signed, legally they were married, but they didn't go home as husband and wife until after the reception. In our culture, what do we do? We plan the, the wedding, we plan the reception, and then once the wedding comes, it's all over in one day, done and over with. In that culture, you said, hey, let's get married. You go immediately to the courthouse, you sign the papers, you're legally married, and then you save up money and plan the wedding until you can finally have the big ceremony. So they are pledged to be married. Marriage documents signed, not living together. 13 to 15 years old. We don't even trust our 13 to 15 year olds to drive by themselves despite airbags, seatbelts, and all the technology in cars these days. And God is entrusting baby Jesus, God himself, to a 13 to 15 year old girl. A child herself. What we also know is that she was probably a a poor woman. A poor young girl. uh, Because Nazareth wasn't significant. uh, There wasn't a lot of money in Nazareth. And so she was probably poor. A peasant girl. She probably wore the same worn out dress, the same worn out sandals every single day. Uh, She probably had dirt on her hands and feet uh, because of the daily chores that needed to be done. Because she was poor, the ground of her house was probably not done. It was probably just a dirt floor. And so she was dirty. And uh, because there was only the one well, there was no daily showers. She was probably a, a dirty, young, poor woman. And she's a virgin. An inexperienced mother. No idea how to raise a baby. She's a child herself. Is that how you pictured Mary? Young, dirty, inexperienced, from a town that's despised? My guess is probably not. My guess is if you had to picture her, you you probably picture her like all the paintings picture her, which is kind of like a first century princess. Beautiful clothes, uh, clean Looks like she knows what she's doing as she's holding baby Jesus. Uh, Not so much young either. And so my question is, why is that? If this is how Mary really was, why do we picture her more like a, a first century princess? I think it's because of what the angel says to Mary. And that's your second point today. Mary was the favored misfit. Mary was the favored misfit. Here's what the angel said to her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was highly favored. Let me give you two examples. And... and Think to yourself. You can write it down in your worship folder. Which one you think would be more favored by God? Example number one: someone who is incompetent, someone who's a lazy worker, uh, someone who doesn't have a lot of hygiene. That's not really high on their on their to do list. They are offensive. Their kids run around like crazy and misbehave. Uh, they are selfish. You can tell they don't have good intentions. There's absolutely no routine to their family. Uh, there's no words of encouragement, all words of tearing each other down. Do you think that person is more favored? Or example number two, which is a competent, which is a competent person, hardworking, loves Jesus, uh, is selfless, donates a lot of their time, energy, resources, uh, their kids are well-behaved, Uh, They're in church every Sunday. Hygiene's a high priority on their list. And all their words are words of encouragement, love, and grace. Which one of the two do you think is more favored by God? You see, when we think of people who are highly favored, we think of people more like example number two, right? Clean, nice, encouraging. Have things together. We don't really think of example number one type of people. People whose lives are kind of chaotic, uh, not really having things together, uh, uh, offensive. We don't think of those types of people as being favored by God. And that shows a very fatal flaw in each and every one of us, right? Because what's the difference between example one and example two? Example two... Is more favorable in people's eyes. Therefore, if they're more favorable in people's eyes, they must be more favorable in God's eyes. And that's the fatal flaw. It's what theologians call the opinio legis, it means the opinion of the law. The opinion of the law believes that there is something in us that deserves God's love and favor. That God looks down from heaven and says, I see what you did there, and because of it, I'm going to show you favor. It could be anything. Career success, parenting success, a new car, a new home, anything. That God looks down and He says, I'm going to give you favor. And now we push back a little bit, right? Wait a second, Pastor. I know... God's love can't be earned. I know His favor can't be earned. He gives it freely. And yet we subtly find ourselves believing this, right? The more I'm in favor with the people, the more I must be in favor with God. The less I'm in favor with people, the less I'm in favor with God. And that's earning His favor. The fact that I can clean myself up and get in good graces with God. Earlier this week, uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor had a devotion, one of those, he did a Facebook video devotion, and he said that a couple weeks ago he uh, put in his contact in the morning. He washed his hands, dried it on a towel, put in his contact in the morning, and it just burned and burned and burned. And so he quick took it out, and he looked, and it looked clean. And so he was confused, and so he got really close to the light and really close to the contact, and he could see all these tiny little fibers coming off of his contact. He forgot that his wife bought new towels, and so when he washed his hand and dried it, all these tiny little fibers got on his finger, which then went on to his contact, which, from the naked eye, he could not see the fibers until he got really close and underneath the light. Each and every one of us has the fibers of sin living inside of us. And it doesn't matter if you're example number one or example number two. We all have those fibers of sin living in us. And it doesn't matter how clean we get to the public's eye, to other people's eyes. God sees those fibers of sin. And if we want to earn and deserve God's favor, we need to get rid of those fibers. And it doesn't matter how good we live. We can't get rid of them. And we see those fibers of sin flare up from time to time, don't we? Every single day, actually. As we sit there and we compare ourselves to other people and say, well, I'm more deserving of God's love and favor than that person. There we see pride and judgmental thinking. The opposite is true, too. How can I have God's favor Look at the circumstances I'm in in life. And we start to fear. And we think that God isn't with us because of what's going on in our life. The fibers of sin. None of us deserve God's love and favor. And yet, here's what we learn from Mary it doesn't matter your social background. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your family background, what you've done, what you haven't done. God favors us simply because He wants to favor us. And that's your next fill in the blank. We are all favored misfits. We all are. The English word that we translate, the English word we have is favored. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Uh, The Greek word for that word is a word called charis. Remember, the New Testament was written originally in Greek. And so the, the Greek word is charis. And charis means favor and grace. Undeserved, unmerited love. Mary was favored because God graced her. He showed His undeserved love to her. The reason she was favored and was able to be the mother of Jesus was because God said, I love you. And the same is true for you and me. We haven't done anything to deserve God's love and favor, and yet He says, I'm going to grace you. I'm going to love you even when you don't deserve it. And so we stand next to Mary as those who have been graced by God, favored by Him. And we know we are because of the angel's message to Mary. Here's what he says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How do you know that God favors you? How do you know that He has graced you? Because He sent His Son Jesus, born to Mary, for you. He sent Jesus into the world to fulfill the promise that God made back in Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve fell into sin. God said, I'm going to send somebody into the world to undo everything that they have done. Everything that sin has done. Everything that Satan has done. And He sent Jesus into the world to do just that. To live the perfect life that He wanted from us. To die on the cross, to pay for all of our sins, to rise to conquer death and defeat Satan. And He did it all for you. And now this this son of David is on His throne, His kingdom will never end, and He is sitting in heaven at this very moment, and He declares to you that your sins are forgiven. You are clean because of what He did to you, for you. He got rid of all those fibers of sin so that in His eyes you are clean, forgiven. And He didn't just do this for you, He did it for the entire world. And yet, here's the amazing part. If only you would believe in Jesus, if out of all of the human, people in human history, if only you were going to believe in Jesus, He would have still came for you because He loves you that much. Talk about grace. Talk about being favored by God, that He would send His only Son to save you and me. Mary was graced by God, able to have the baby Jesus because of grace and favor. We stand next to her as those who have been favored by God. There's nothing we've done to deserve God's favor and grace. And yet He gives it to us because He loves us. But there's something Mary was still confused about. Here's what she said to the angel. Uh, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of David. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary is wondering how this is going to happen. And the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you so that the, the Son of God will be born, so that He'd be true man and true God to be able to pay for the sins of the world. And notice how Mary responds. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Think of what Mary's going to uh, have to do. She, uh, Joseph and her are just pledged to be married. They have not gone home as husband and wife. She's going to have to have a conversation with Joseph. She's going to have to have a conversation with her family, her friends, her relatives. There's going to be some fearful conversations happening. And yet she trusts the Lord's promise. Because she trusts that when God says she is favored, that she is. And that's what we're leaving with today. Your last blank. Trust the Lord's promises. There were so many things that Mary could point to and say, God, I don't know that I'm actually favored. Look at the circumstances that you just put me in. I have to have a conversation with my husband whom uh, he knows that I'm a virgin and now I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a conversation with my family. I'm inexperienced. How am I going to do this? And yet she simply trusted God's promises. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure. I don't know what you're struggling with, I don't know what promises of God you're struggling with. But I do know this, that God has favored you, that He has graced you. And we know it because of that first Christmas. The baby Jesus in the manger, born to save you from your sins. That is grace. That is favor. And so we rejoice with Mary today because that message from the angel is still so exciting for us that Jesus would be born. The virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel. Praise God that he doesn't leave us in the dark. Praise God that he tells us who the Christ child is, that he has graced us, he has favored us, and we trust his promise no matter what's going on in life because we know that no matter what happens in the future, he is with us. If he was willing to send his son to die for us, He's going to be with us no matter what happens. And so we praise God. Let's close with a prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You sent Jesus to save us. We thank You for Your grace, for Your favor. And we ask that as we go into the future that You you help us to trust that grace and favor no matter what life throws at us. Be with us through it all. Help us to trust You and Your promises. Amen.